Well, if you have your Bible this morning, I want you to turn to Luke chapter 1. I'm going to finish a, a series, a little mini-series uh, called Jesus Sends. And um, this has been a, a, a great time for us as a church where we have been just taking another look at Jesus. We've been examining Christ and what he was doing, and we, we did a, a series called Jesus Saves, and, and, and how he came to seek and save that which is lost. We, we, we did a series called Jesus Heals, all, all about the covenant that brings salvation is the same covenant that brings healing to us. Uh, just absolutely amazing. And then we spent some time on Jesus Empowers, that Jesus empowers us by giving us an assignment, and then giving us his spirit to complete it. I encourage you to go to Calvary.online and, and go and listen to those messages. And you, you begin to get stirred up about what Jesus was doing. But why will we as the church, why do we need to take another look at Jesus? Well, here's why. It, it is simply this, that we actually become what we behold. That when we, we focus on the image of Christ, 2 Corinthians 3.18, it says we are transformed into that image from glory to glory. So when we're looking at Jesus and we're looking into the Word, we're actually positioning ourselves to become more like Him. And I just want to tell you, if Jesus was saving 2,000 years ago, he's still saving today. And if Jesus was healing 2,000 years ago, he's still healing today. Just ask the guy uh, from the front row in, in, in first service. Got his back healed this morning. Incredible. God's still healing. And God's still empowering. He takes unqualified people, gives them an assignment that's way over their head, and gives them a spirit that they do not deserve his own. So good. But then Jesus comes along and he sends, and he's been, he's been sending people for years and years and years. And I want to say it to you this way, and maybe you'll have this scripture memorized since we're end ending this, and I've been saying it for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks. Hebrews 13.8 says this, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now you have at least two scriptures memorized. Jesus wept and Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. Yeah, no, I bet you have more than that memorized. But at least now, if you've been listening and you've been coming for a few weeks, you got a few more. And here's what this is saying, that if Jesus was saving then, he's saving now. And if, you've been, if you're outside of the saving arm of God today, I've got good news. Jesus has come. He sent his spirit today, and he's come to rescue you. And if you come here with brokenness in your body or brokenness in your soul, brokenness in your family, Jesus wants to heal you today. Amen. And if you're just wandering through life and you're paralyzed and I don't know what to give myself to, there's a Jesus that empowers. He'll give you an impossible task. You'll look at it and say, I could never do that. And Jesus says, okay, perfect. Now I can use you. And he'll give you his spirit, which is able to overcome everything. But Jesus also sends us. And that's what I want to talk to you about today is Jesus sends. And in light of the season that we're in, I was thinking about uh, this little Christmas tradition that we have. We have this little uh, tradition called the early gift. I don't know if you're like this, but I have five children. So waiting to Christmas Day it's like an episode of WWE. Mostly it's just us it's just wrestling to try to keep them away from any gifts that they may or may not see. Now listen, uh, if you're in this room and you 
still send letters to the North Pole because you're that young. Um, sometimes parents already know what's on the list. I'm just going to let you know that secret. And so that's why we wrestle over, over those gifts. And I tell my kids, you know, part-time, I'm Santa. And um, so, so what we do is Christmas Eve, we love to give them an early gift. And basically, it's not the ultimate gift that we got. We know that they really, it's, it's an early gift. And what the early gift does, it actually awakens an appetite for the ultimate gift. And makes sleeping Christmas Eve even harder. (laughs) And I want to suggest to you that the Christmas story tells a story about an early gift before the ultimate gift. You see, Christmas, what we celebrate is, is when Christ came and borrowed the womb of Mary. And as Isaiah says, he was born of a virgin. He comes and borrows the womb of a virgin. But Christmas in this story is not just the story of one pregnancy. Intertwined in this story, it's actually the story of two pregnancies. See, there's another couple, not just Joseph and Mary. There's a story of Zacharias and Elizabeth. Zacharias was a priest unto the Lord, and uh, Elizabeth was righteous. The scripture actually says about them both, amazing, it says that they were blameless, that they were righteous and blameless according to the law. And the only reason that we know that Zacharias was blameless is because Gabriel comes and visits him as he's, as he's serving the Lord in the temple, uh, offering prayers and incense to the Lord, Gabriel comes and gives him a message that his wife, who now is a little bit older, that she is going to become pregnant. And this is what Zechariah says, and this is how we know that he's righteous. He says, how can this be? For I am old, and Elizabeth... She's advanced in age. So you can tell God's been working on that brother. <laughs> been working on him. He knows. And then Gabriel says these powerful words. He says, I stand in the presence of God. And I've come to deliver you a message that you're about to receive a miracle and you don't believe what I'm saying. So from this point on, you're going to be mute. But God's about to do a miracle in your family and he's going to do it despite your ability to be able to speak into it. So he goes mute, comes out having this encounter with the Lord. Elizabeth gets pregnant in her old age and hides for five months until she couldn't hide anymore. Which is a whole nother message. I wish we would get so pregnant with something that God was doing that we couldn't hide it anymore. That there would be just no hiding what God was doing in us and through us. And so that's when she comes out. She has an incredible encounter. Which we're going to talk about today. You see, she was carrying the early gift that preceded the ultimate gift. 
And the coming of Christ is not a story that will be told in history only once. The coming of Christ is a story in history that is told twice. And let me say it to you this way. Christ came some 2,000 years ago, but Christ is coming again. And God is fashioning the church in this hour to be the early gift that comes before the ultimate gift. And Jesus wants to send the church of today as the early gift to this planet. And we can learn some things about how we are to minister, how we are to walk, how we are to live, how we are to demonstrate Christ in this age before Christ comes again. So we're going to learn about John the Baptist, the son of Zacharias and Elizabeth. So we can learn about our assignment as Jesus sends us today. If you have your Bibles, Luke 176. If you don't, we'll have it on the screen for you. Luke 176. This is a prophetic utterance that Zacharias, who had been mute, has this encounter with the Lord when he declares his son will be named John. There's nobody in his family that's named John. He's going to give him the name that God says his name should be. So when he writes it out on a tablet and says, his name will be John, then his tongue got loosed. And when his tongue got loosed, he got filled with the Holy Spirit. And God gave him a divine utterance, and those words are the words that we're going to read today. And when he was prophesying over his own son, this is what he said. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the highest. For you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of the salvation to his people by the remission of their sins. Through the tender mercy of our God, which is the day spring from on high, has visited us. To give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet in the way of peace. So the child grew. This is John. And became strong in spirit and was in the deserts till the day of his manifestation to Israel. John was an early gift to Israel. And I want us to look closely at these scriptures so we can learn how we are to operate as the early gift. The one who would come before the second coming of Christ. First thing is this. The early gift speaks. The early gift speaks. Luke 176 says this, and you child will be called the prophet. Everybody say the prophet of the highest. Notice this title. Notice this title. The title is prophet. Now a prophet uh, simply defined is someone filled with God's spirit who says what God is saying and does what God is doing. This is someone filled with God's spirit who says what God is saying and does what God is doing. 
And I love this. I believe the Lord is restoring this to the church like never before. I have heard it over and over again over the years. Pastor, I don't know how to hear from God. It seems like you hear from God. But here's what I see. More and more people are beginning to hear from the Lord as they seek him, as they open his word, as they get before him in devotion. God's opening ears. We're watching young people begin to prophesy and say things that nobody could by any natural means know. I remember this one story my wife told me after she was shopping in Walmart, which is a good thing to know that the Holy Spirit goes with your wife to Walmart. (laughs) For many reasons. (laughs) She said she's going through and she's about to check out and all of a sudden God dropped two letters in in her heart. It was LC, LC. LC, she kept hearing these letters over and over and over and over again. She kept hearing these letters. She said, what is that, Lord? What is that? She just felt directed to go and get in this line. And as she approached, the gentleman who was checking out, his name tag was turned over. And she just reached out to him and asked this question. She said, sir, uh, what, what's... Uh, does LC mean anything to you? She goes, oh, and he, he looks down, his name tag's turned over. He says, yeah, that's what everybody calls me. And on his name tag, there's LC. Wow. And she just began to minister the love of God to him. And just began to tell him how much the Lord loved him. How many of you know, when God calls you out by name, you know he loves you. And you know, it wasn't that long before L.C. went home to be with the Lord. So you don't know the timeliness of how God wants to use you, how God wants to open your ears and make you a voice for him. You know, and John the Baptist was, it was amazing. He was filled with God's Spirit. But when did he get filled with the Spirit? This is so good. From the womb. Moms, I got good news for you. This scripture tells us something about the powerful influence you can actually have upon your children. Because we find out that, that he was, he was, it was prophesied that he would be uh, uh, filled with God's spirit from the womb. Gabriel, the angel says, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. Just a few verses later, in verse 39, it says, Now Mary arose in those days, this is the mother of Jesus, and she went into the hill country with haste to the city of Judah and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the babe leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Here she gets filled and, and, and just a few, later, uh, a few verses later, Elizabeth says, And the baby leaped for joy in my womb. Joy is connected to God's presence. It's connected to God's spirit. And that's when John the Baptist got filled with the Holy Spirit is when Elizabeth got filled with the Holy Spirit. And so what I want to say to you today is the early gift is a voice that is spirit-filled unashamedly spirit-directed and spirit-filled, that we give ourselves fully to the leadership and the voice of the Holy Spirit. He did it his whole life. Now, not only 
was he spirit-filled, but he was consecrated. It says he, he, he gave himself neither to strong drink. He didn't cut his hair. It was, it was a, a Nazarite vow that John the Baptist took. Now, um, that's, that's a little different. He's saying, hey, listen, I'm, I'm called, and they said this over him, you are called to be different. You are called to be consecrated to the Lord. Consecration is not you avoiding certain things. It's you giving yourself to God. We, we sometimes think, you know, uh, you know I'm just going to avoid certain sins or certain activities. Listen, that's not consecration. Consecration is I'm running to the Lord to give myself fully to Him. And He was consecrated and He was a voice. Many people should say of us, wow, there is something different about you. I recently watched a uh, uh, a documentary about a man named Todd White, who's a, an evangelist that's, that's just, just absolutely transforming young people and ministering in power. And he went to, uh, he went to Europe. He was in the Netherlands. And uh, there, uh, as he was, he went into this restaurant to just get some food. And all of a sudden, God lays the waitress on his heart, and he starts sharing with the waitress, and she gets born again. And then, then, then there's a, a, a guy who's delivering food, comes through the door, and, and that guy gets born again. And then he looks down, and he sees the cook in the back, and he gets down there, and he says the only way he could get down there is he was going to just go bless the guy, just go tip the guy. I'm going to give this guy just money so I can go get down there. And that guy gives his life to the Lord. You know, this is Europe, right? totally spiritually dead nothing happening well what's happening the, the the waitress looked at him and she says i could just see something different on you well, what is the difference oh that god wants to send an early gift that's spirit filled that's consecrated to him in a city where other people are chasing all kinds of other things he says god i'm going here and i'm going to chase after you and when we do that People will see it. The early gift speaks. We need to lift our voice and be a voice for what God is saying in the earth. Secondly, the early gift goes before. The early gift goes before. In Luke 176b, it says, For you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways. The, the prophecy spoken of John, but this is actually our assignment as well. When God wanted to prepare a people for the ultimate gift of his son, he sent an early gift named John. And a forerunner literally is one who gets the rubble out of the way so that there is a smooth path for those to approach Christ. He wants to prepare the way. And it says something, that he will be a prophet. But what prophet? Because there's lots of prophets. Would he be like Isaiah, who is quoted more than anyone else, whose, whose writings mirror the entire Bible, who gives us all kinds of prophetic insight about the cross some 700 years before it would happen in Isaiah 53? No, he would not come like Isaiah. Would he come like Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, the one that no one listened to, the one that, that, that prophesies of God's deliverance in the midst of captivity? No, he would not be like Jeremiah. 
that? Would he be like Ezra, the one who plucks hair out of his beard and out of his head when the people of God get into mixture again after God gives them a time of revival? Nope, he is not going to be like Ezra. Who is he to be like? What prophet was this early gift to be like? The prophet Elijah. It's to be like Elijah. Luke 1.17, it says, He will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. What does it mean to minister in the spirit and power of Elijah? If we are to truly be this early gift, this forerunning gift before the second coming of Christ, what, how do we operate in the spirit and power of Elijah? I would say it this way. The spirit of Elijah is first reformation. It's a reformation. I believe the greatest singular day of reformation happened on Mount Carmel. It was the big showdown. 850 false prophets. And Elijah said, enough is enough. How long, Israel, will you waver between two opinions? If Baal is God, let him be God. But if Yahweh is God, then let him be God. And he says, y'all go first. Dance, cut yourself, do whatever you say. I love Elijah because he has a sense of humor. At one point, they're carrying on, and he says, hey, is your God in the bathroom? Read the Bible. It's hilarious. It's funny. Then after they've carried on and absolutely no fire has come down from heaven, what happens? Elijah says, go and pour water on the offering. Do it over and over and over and over again. And then he calls on the God of heaven. Fire comes down. And, and when the fire comes down, what, what does that do? It gives him permission to slay all the false prophets in the land. In one day, the greatest reformation Israel had ever seen took place. So when we come before Christ coming again, what are we called? to reform. We are called to reform those things which had fallen down. Those things which the church of this day are worshiping and should not. Where we give heed to voices that are seducing and calling us out of God's will for our life. But God is raising up a church in the spirit of Elijah who says we will rebuild the tabernacle of David which has fallen down. Who gives himself freely to worship. Who gives himself in purity and authenticity to the Lord. This is what it means to be in the spirit of Elijah, but there's also the power that we would not just be reformers to change the, the vessel that God is using, but we would walk in the power. What kind of power? Well, well, that first power that we see is Elijah prays and they go in, into a drought. Three and a half years of a drought. God sends Elijah down to a brook named Cherith. And Elijah called Yahweh's Uber Eats. And he was fed by ravens. They just brought the food right to him. And he didn't even have to tip. How many of you know that's a miracle when ravens are feeding you? How many of you know when you have nothing to eat, you don't normally go to a widow, but God sends him, sends him to a widow and the meal doesn't run out? How many of you know when a widow makes room for you in a house and he has a room in a house and the son in that house dies, what do you do? 
You do what Elijah did. You go raise him from the dead. He calls fire down out of heaven, leads a great reformation. Somebody tries to kill Elijah twice. He calls fire down out of heaven, not once, but twice on them. There's power. And then he puts his head between his knees and with a nature like ours says, God, open the heavens. And on the seventh time, he said, I see, his servant said, I see a cloud the size of a man's hand. He says, you need to run and go tell the king that he better go now or the rain will overtake him. We are called to be this early gift that reforms, yes, but walks in power. That we would say and do what the disciples did when Jesus sent them out in Luke chapter 10. This is exactly what Jesus did when he wanted people going before them. We have a New Testament example of it. Luke chapter 10, it says, After these things, the Lord appointed 70 others also, sent them two by two before his face into every city and place he himself was about to go. Where Jesus wanted to go, he sent people before him. Well, what did they do? Look at verse 9. He said, heal the sick there and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near you. He's saying, listen, when you go, go in power. Go and heal the sick. He's saying, listen, don't give them some theological discourse. Don't try to win them through knowledge. Give them a demonstration of the Spirit's power. He says, heal the sick. And when they say, how did you do that? You say, God has come near to you. That's the way Jesus did that. And that was the message. And then seven, in verse 17, we find that the 70 come back with joy saying, Lord, even demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means harm you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. He says, listen, we go before in complete authority. We go in reformation. We go in power. But we really go because our names are in the book. When I read that again this week, I just, I just paused. I said, God, show me my page. I just closed my eyes for a moment. And you, some, some people... If you're really theological and this, this kind of bothers you, too bad. <laughs> I just said, God, show me my name. And it's as if the book fell open before me. And I could look down and see my name. I'm telling you, my name is written on high. Not because of my good works, but because of him. Because of him. Church, church, we're the ones that go before 
And we rejoice when people get saved. We rejoice when people get delivered, when people come into a real relationship with God. But listen, that's not our motivation. Our motivation is this one thing. My name is in a book in heaven, and I'm his. He's called me by name. I'm his son. I'm his daughter, and I'm devoted to him. And I'm going to go before him before he comes again and makes all the kingdoms of this world become the kingdoms of of our God. We as the early gift are called to be a voice and to go before him. But the early gift also reveals the ultimate gift. It reveals the ultimate gift. Luke 177, back to those words, it says, to give the knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of their sins through the tender mercy of our God with which the day spring from on high has visited us. John the Baptist had one message, repent. Repent. In the Greek, it's a word called metanoia. It means to have a change of thinking which changes your direction. It says repent. Turn to God because he is merciful. The kingdom of God is near. And it's not enough for the kingdom of God to be near if God is spiteful. He says the kingdom of God is near and he's merciful. And he comes and says, if you will turn, he will receive you and forgive you. And wash you and make you clean. You say, what does that ministry really look like? The final words of the old covenant come from Malachi chapter 4. And they speak of the moment when John the Baptist would walk the earth. But I believe they also speak of the moments in which we now walk. Malachi chapter 4 verse 5 says, Behold, I send you Elijah the prophet. Before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is the final judgment. We have not entered into that yet. And what's coming before? Those who are operating in the spirit and power of Elijah. And listen, he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. Lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. Our assignment as the early gift is to turn the hearts of fathers to the children. That is why this place will always be given fully to ministering to children, to ministering to young people. We will never consider children the church of tomorrow. But Acts 2 says, I'm going to pour out my spirit on all flesh and your sons and daughters will prophesy. They are the church of today, filled with God's power and purpose. And young person, if you're here, you're in the right place. Why? Because God's turning a generation's heart back to you. What's it look like? We're turning the hearts of fathers to say, don't look on this generation like they're worthless. Don't talk down to millennials. What you don't know about millennials, they're actually some of the most generous, the most, one of the most generous generations ever. Don't talk down to them. Hearts of the fathers get turned back to the kids. Get turned back to the young people. That's what God is doing. That's what we're going to give ourselves to. 
We're not going to try to live to just promote ourselves. We're going to live to promote those who are coming up after us. How many want to leave something in the hands of a generation that's burning for God? That they could use it for a tool to see His glory be just sweep across this nation and around the world. That's what I want to do. But then it doesn't end there. Because God continues to move. And this is what it says. And I'll turn the hearts of the children back to the Father. I believe that's where we are right now. I, I want to tell you something. You don't realize the day that you're living in. Right now on this planet, there's ne nearly 2 billion people under age 24. Two billion people under age 24. I'm telling you, we are in the day of the greatest harvest this world has ever seen. And it will come through children and young people. Not long ago, in my, in my email, I got an email from a dear, dear friend, a missionary couple that we sent to South Africa. And she said, Pastor Otis had a dream last night. And I, I saw this, this structure, this this, this dome-like structure, and I knew it to be Calvary. And there within and under this structure were all of these children. And the voice of the Lord comes into the dream and says this to her. She says, he says, I am about to move in an unprecedented way, unlike anything that has ever been seen. She looks down in her hand, and her hand is filled with crayons. Here's what I know. God is going to take those children and start ministering to our children. And you know what's going to happen? They're going to get a heart for backslidden mom and dad who walked away from God, who are, who are dealing with their own addictions, who are dealing with their own issues. And here comes eight-year-old Josiah's going to set some things in order. Don't get mad at your kids when they start going through your DVDs and throwing some stuff out. Don't get mad at them for that. Now you need somebody to go through your DVDs and throw some stuff out. Don't get mad at them when they change the radio station and say, no, I'd rather hear some worship. Come on, we need to worship God, Dad. See, God is moving in this hour. He's going to fill our children with his spirit. And that same spirit of Elijah that we, we're called to steward children. We're saying, come on, come on, go, Bobby. Come on, go, Sally. Come on, grow up in the presence of the Lord. And let's reach our moms and dads and our grandpas and grandpas till every generation burns with fresh fire from the Lord. This tells me Jesus is coming again in an hour where young people fill the earth. And that hour is now. Two billion on this planet. He's coming soon, church. If you're ever wondering what the early gift message is, what the message that you and I are called to give. And if you're here today and you don't have a relationship with God, here's the message. Jesus has come to save you from your sins. You see, sin comes with a wage. It earns something in eternity called death. But by his grace, his undeserved favor, and not our works, we can be saved by faith. 
Because of his mercy, he came and paid the price for our sins. And on the third day, demonstrated his victory over death. The grave could no longer hold him. And all who place faith in Jesus, who is raised from the dead, receive the same eternal life that he now possesses. That's the message. Repent and believe. And he'll change your life. He's alive. Jesus saves. Jesus heals. Jesus empowers. And church, Jesus sins.